2: You're listening to iFanboys Talk Explode with writer Cullen Bunn. Hey there cats and kittens i fanboy staff writer paul montgomery here and joining me is the writer of such books as the six gun and the damned as well as an increasing number of projects for marvel and dc colin Bond, thanks for stopping by
3: oh thanks for uh, talking with me
2: I actually feel kind of guilty taking you away from your work because you've got a lot of books coming down the pike. Just looking at this list in front of me. Um, no, that's
3: all right. Please, please take me away from my work. For anything a few to get away from yeah. it. Anything to procrastinate. <laughs> for, for a few minutes would be nice.
2: Sure. Um, but congratulations on going full time. That's got to be exciting and terrifying and cool.
3: Thank you. Yeah, it's. Uh, I'm still not still not sure I'm used to it yet, but. Uh, my desk is – I'm glad this isn't a, a video conference because my desk is covered with soda cups and bottles and numerous crumpled papers and script pages. So I definitely look like a full-time writer if, <laughs> if nothing else. Sure.
2: I definitely. I, I want to talk about how you organize all that stuff in a bit. But first, um, let's start by talking about The Six-Gun, which I believe um, this, this podcast will be coming out in the beginning of May. Um, so I believe this is the – is it the one-year anniversary of The Six-Gun for – for, it is um, free comic yeah, book day last year.
3: Yeah, it, the first issue came out on free comic book day, so yeah, I didn't even think about that, but it is the the one year anniversary.
2: Yeah, so that was that was Oni's free comic book day title, and uh, for me, I I tried to pick up just about everything. I mean, I went in there, I, I got relatives to go in and pick up because you know you're limited to like five, but it was like go in there and right. you know, pretend it's for you. Um, but it was certainly certainly one of my favorites out of the whole bunch. Um, how long had the idea for an occult western series been? been brewing for you, and when did Brian Hurt become involved as an artist on the um,
3: series? You know, the the idea for the book was was kind of in my head for, for some time, maybe a year or so before Brian uh, got involved. I mean, he was... He and I talked about it at its earliest stages. Uh, Brian is often kind of the guy I go to with my ideas because uh, I, because I know he'll either tell me if they're good or, or bad and he won't pull his punches, <laughs> but, uh, he wasn't originally the artist on it. Um, it, it, it kind of started out as a, a much smaller project. It was going to be a, a much, uh, darker story. And it was definitely going to be a, a, like a six issue limited series. Um, but then, as a uh, you know, as I started working on it and talking more with Brian, brainstorming, it just started to grow out of that, and it it just became a, a bigger story. Um, and then when Oni finally came to me and said, "We definitely want to do the book. Would you be interested in Brian working on it?" Uh, I was really excited about it. My first reaction was, "Well, Brian's not going to be able to do it." <laughs> you know, if you can get Brian, that's great. Um, but he was really excited to get on on to get started on the book. So uh, I got really lucky with that.
2: So when it when it launched on Free Comic Book Day last, last year, um, was it still the idea then that it would be a six-issue limited series, or had it already progressed to the point where it was going to be an ongoing?
3: By that time, it, it had changed quite a bit from, the, from my original idea. Um, if you read the first six issues, we wrote it, you know, I wrote it with the idea that if the book didn't do, if it wasn't you know, a huge seller for Oni, six issues would tell, would tell an entire story. Um, because we didn't know going into the first, you know, several issues, if it was going to be something that was, you know, going to be worth only continuing to publish or not. Um, but you know, by the fourth or fifth issue, we, we knew that the book was going to continue. So that was great. Um, you know, so by the time the free comic book day issue came out, we were hopeful that it would be an ongoing. Um, but we were prepared for the fact that it could have been a limited series.
2: So when you're when you're at that stage as a as a creator and you're not sure which way it's going to go, I mean, do you do you plan a lot in advance? I mean, how how involved was your outline for what it would be? What would it become?
3: The outline beyond the first six issues in those early stages was very very loose. I mean, it was maybe uh, you know a a couple of paragraphs of what the book could you know what we could do with the series. Um, so it it was not. you know, we all, I always had this idea of where it could go, but it wasn't until we, you know, I got into the, the second arc that I went ahead and mapped out in detail what I see as the entire series, which is about 50, roughly 50 issues or so. Um, and, and at that point, it, it's a very detailed outline, basically an issue by issue, you know, arc by arc, arc, issue by issue, what's going to happen in the series um, up, on up to the end of the until it's until it's done.
2: My big question, I I really enjoyed the the series from the start, but one of the first big wow moments for me, just just in terms of just a a cool visual, was that that goat with a wreath of of guns around its neck. Where where did that idea come from? I
3: I don't know. Brian and I joke because there was a goat in the damned, and we've now decided that every project we work on together, there's going to be a goat somewhere. It's the the, signature. Yeah, that's going to be our signature is a goat. That's pretty Um, cool. You know i frankly I think goats are creepy I always have have <laughs> his always, eyes you know it's it's the eyes i've always uh, I've written a, a number of short stories where goats show up in some creepy aspect and so when I started thinking about uh about the six gun and and the general getting getting the guns for the first time, I really just wanted a kind of sinister uh creepy image so that's where the the goat with the with the necklace of guns came from
2: i just i think of i think of sam raimi's movie that that dragged me to hell movie with the with the possessed goat and right and just, yeah thinking back like when i was a kid and seeing those eyes on they're just creepy
3: yeah they're they're very creepy <laughs> I, I was just visiting my folks and they have a goat and they, they live out in the country and they have a one goat and it's the creepiest creature in the world out there baying in the dead of night and stuff you know?
2: <laughs> So okay, this is this is a period piece, and I know a lot of, of other writers sort of sh- uh, shy away from from westerns because of maybe the research involved, and uh, I know artists don't like drawing horses. But um, so, how much how much research is involved in, in writing something like this?
3: Um, the the there's a there's a little bit, obviously. Um, I, I'm not saying it's going to go too much further than my collection of time time life books of of the old west. Mm-hmm um and you know and some internet research the the nice thing about the six gun is I've always approached it as a fantasy so I've kind of taken the the approach that this is not the world we know it's not our you know it's not our old west it's our American west it's a fantasy version of the American west and that gives me a little bit of a a little bit of comfort a little bit of a, a little bit of a it it makes me feel a little better when i write these scripts and i don't have to stress as much over every single detail Mm -hmm. now i know brian still spends a lot of time making sure what the uh you know what the guns look like what the clothing would look like you know what uh in in this new arc for instance we uh we're it's in new orleans and we definitely did a lot of research on new orleans and even to the point about you know when what point did trolley cars enter the picture and uh and what did the trolley cars look like in that in that era? and that's just for a couple of panels in in the art, but that's probably the stuff we suffer over the most is can you know can I have this monster crashing into a trolley car in New Orleans at <laughs> this era um, I, At the very beginning, we had a little bit of uh, you know we we kind of went back and forth over the guns because uh you know it was you know, you know were they at the era that the guns were created. Uh, they don't you can't reload them as quickly as you can in you know like in the old west movies but uh, that's why the guns never have to be reloaded frankly (laughs) (laughs) so there there's my easy way out but it's and it doesn't
2: feel like a cop-out it just feels like of course they're a magic gun you don't need to reload them they're powered by they're loaded
3: with hate loaded (laughs) with
2: hate that's great um so it sounds like you're you're sort of a lifelong fan of, of westerns um i i really enjoy westerns is it a good time to be a Western writer. I know it's, you know, it's a good time to be a fan of the Western in terms of, we got true grit just came out. Jonah Hex, maybe a little bit was kind of fun, but, um, and you know, there's, there's a lot of cool Westerns out there. Jonah Hex, things like that. Um, is it, it is it, is the market open to Westerns? Uh,
3: that's a tough one. I think, uh, it's becoming more so, I mean, I, I do see a lot of, a lot of Westerns and, and especially supernatural Westerns popping up in previews and stuff like that. Um, we get a lot of a lot of feedback from people that say you know i don't buy you know i don't read westerns it's you know they just write them off immediately mm-hmm. uh, it's just not the type of book they read we also get a lot of feedback from people who say you know i don't usually read westerns but i really like this book um so i think it's i think that it's it's a it's a genre that that people are are familiar with it's it's kind of a comfortable genre but that brings some some headaches of its, in and of itself. You know, people are comfortable with it, but they think they know what they're getting into, so they may not bother with it. Um, and that's kind of a bad you know, that's, if I were going to say there's a big battle for, the, you know, for us in terms of marketing the book and getting it out to people, it's that uh, I think the Western side of it, people think, I don't like Western, so I'm not going to like this book, which I think is a pretty narrow view of, of the genre in itself. You know, there's, mm-hmm. there's, a lot of, there's a lot of different types of stories in, in the Western genre.
2: Now, I was familiar with your work on the damned prior to this, but in doing my research uh, you 've written a ton of horror over the years and horror <laughs> prose. Um, is that sort of where your your heart lives? Do you consider yourself uh, a horror writer first or or you know do you consider yourself a, a like a comic writer now who also writes horror or how does it shake out
3: uh, well definitely right now, I would consider myself a comic book writer who also writes some horror. Now, I I got started when I, when I, you know, I first got started writing, I was definitely focused on prose. Um, and that's where all those short stories that I've, I've, uh, I've published over the years came from. Um, in the end, I just like telling stories, whether it's, you know, a prose story, whether it's a comic, um, and whether it's horror, fantasy, you know, action, whatever. I just like telling stories. Um, I think. Uh, especially when i first started writing i was definitely in a place where horror fiction was what i wanted to write it's what i was i was was feeling the the, i I felt the most of a connection the most connection to um i guess i was in a very dark, (laughs) very (laughs) dark place um but uh but as i moved forward you know i don't necessarily consider myself a horror writer anymore i i mean i do have a uh, a prose novel series coming out, uh, which is a young adult horror novel series uh, called Crooked, Crooked Hills, which is the first prose that I'm really done in in a couple of you know worked on publishing in a couple of years, and that's coming out sometime later this year. Um, but right now, I'm definitely more focused on writing comics uh, and whatever genres you know those you know whatever genre that that entails. Uh, I'm not going to say I wouldn't love I wouldn't jump I you know I would jump at the chance. To, to write some of the, you know, some of those horror heroes that are out there, some of the horror comics that have been around for a while. I'd love to write some of those stories, obviously. For example? uh, You know, I love all of the old Marvel horror heroes. Werewolf by Night, Tomb of Dracula, you know, Man-Thing. Man-Thing. <laughs> uh, <yeah>. Man-Thing, <laughs> I think, is one of those characters that every writer wants to to write Man-Thing at some point.
2: <laughs> so it's a Man-Thing renaissance going on right now. It, well, yeah, there
3: is. Yeah. uh, And, uh, I just, I'd love to, you know, get involved with any of those characters, really.
2: Um, Where does where does your voice come from? Um, Not not your speaking voice, but your your voice when you're you're writing. And I think it, I mean, I I tend to notice your stylistic voice in things like the Sixth Gun and in um, uh, the the Superman Batman arc um, that we're going to be talking about shortly. Um, I just, I get the sense that you really enjoy writing um about arcane things and and horror not to say that you're twisted or anything but it sounds like that's like you have a very like a storyteller's voice
3: yeah i think that's uh you know i grew up with you know my dad told stories you know he was he was definitely a the kind of guy who would love to sit around a campfire and tell ghost stories and you know scare the the hell out of all the kids and everything um and i grew up with him telling stories not just that kind of story but just t- told stories about everything you know there there were there's a story Behind every, everything, you know, everything that, uh, that we did, he always had a story that he could tell us about, you know. And, uh, and I think a lot of, of that comes from from him. Uh, and then a, a kind of a steady diet of, uh, of movies, TV, books, comics, you know, over the years. Uh, I think all those things have always, uh, you know, the, all those things kind of play together in, in influencing me.
2: Um, So Sorcerer Kings, this is the current arc on Superman, Batman. Um, So I believe that would, the four issues would finish out in the month of May, I believe. Yes. Okay. Um, This is, this is a really cool book. Um, I know a lot of people are excited about sort of the Elseworlds action coming up with Flashpoint at DC. They're calling that sort of an Elseworlds event. But I think if you like that kind of stuff, um, you'd be doing yourself a favor by picking up the Sorcerer Kings issues of Superman, Batman, um, four issue arc again. Um art by Chris Cross. And um this Superman has a sword and Batman rides a dragon. <laughs> uh, yeah I,
3: Yeah, if you look at the the cover to the, the third issue uh has Batman riding a dragon and Superman flying in front of him wielding a sword. And and I, I pretty much think that sums up the the way that you know that sums up that arc pretty well. Is it's uh it's it's sort of a I wanted to to write a, a no holds barred fantasy story featuring you know Superman and Batman.
2: So are you 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 mentioned the Marvel horror characters? Are you are you also big into the the DC horror characters like like Shadow Pact features big in here and all the magic characters? It's a bit it's sort of like a self contained DC magic event.
3: Yeah, that's that, that's kind of what I wanted to do, and that's why uh that's why I was excited about doing this story. Uh, when they when they when I first started talking to the editors. Uh, I pitched them three different ideas for Superman, Batman, and this one though was the one I, you know, if I could have nudged them in the direction of one, this is the one I wanted to 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 do because of the characters that uh, that I that I had planned to to use in it. I always liked Shadow Pack. I always liked uh, Clarion, the Witch Boy. Yeah, you, know, I, I, you know, there are a number of characters I have on a list that I want to write those characters at some point. And a lot of them feature into this Superman Batman story, and, and a lot of them happen to be uh, 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 magic characters. Uh, Scream Queen from Scare Tactics, which is a book nobody remembers really, but I loved. And uh, her, probably uh,
2: her biggest role, maybe ever since <laughs> since that time.
3: Yeah, I was like, she's um, still
2: walking around with Superman. That's pretty cool.
3: If I could, you know, if I could have revived Scare Tactics years ago, I I had. A some pitches together I was supposed to be meeting with a number of editors in New York and I had a pitch for Scare scare Tactics Revival uh, that I wanted to get in the hands of DC but uh, it didn't happen it's probably for the best probably for the best
2: is is there is there a period in in comics like one of the the metal ages that you wish that you could have written in
3: well I think everybody loves the era where they really got into comics probably and so mine would have been in the 80s you know right you know in the uh you know, the Claremont era of X-Men when he was writing X-Men and especially with John Romita Jr. was doing the series. That's probably where I, I kind of, you know, got into collecting comics. Uh, and if not that, you know, the, the comic that made me love comics was Micronauts back in the (laughs) seventies. It was coming out. Um, so, you know, Probably in there in the 70s and 80s, I w- would be the the golden era for me.
2: I think I think the Micronauts reference just had a, had a bunch of people raise their fists in the air. So, <laughs> so it's very cool. <laughs> yeah. If you had to helm an event like an, a major event for for Marvel or DC, is this is this sort of what you would do? Is this the way you would you would roll with it?
3: Uh you know.
2: Would you be I, interested in doing an event? Or oh yeah,
3: well, yeah, I would definitely be. Um, and I think it comes down to, I would tell the story the way I tell stories. So yeah, it would probably be very similar to the way I would handle things. And, uh, and, you know, obviously depending on, on, on the event and what was, what we're trying to accomplish can change things, but it was still in the end, it's going to be a color. If, if someone hires me to write a story, it's going to be a Cullen Bunn story for, for all the the good and ill that brings with it.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Well, so now, um, You're also working over at Marvel on some stuff, uh, deep, you're you're like knee deep in or or sternum deep in Fear Itself, um, working on a couple of different limited series and one shots um, that we know of right now. Um, And I know there are a lot of people and maybe myself included, um, before reading that first issue of Fear Itself, a little bit unclear as to the mission statement for fear itself when I mean, we know it involves thor and and the odin and the serpent and all that stuff and all the thor mythology um where does the the fear itself aspect come in and does that play into the the series that you're working on uh
3: yeah you know i think it's I actually think it was really smart that they didn't reveal too much before that first issue came out mm-hmm. about what you know about the mission statement of the series um but as, you know, as the series kicks off in the first issue, and especially I think when the second issue comes out, it really starts, you know, these tentacles start going out into the Marvel Universe. And it's, you know, it's kind of a no stone unturned event. There's a lot of things going on and and this, uh, this uh, sense of fear that starts spreading through the Marvel Universe is kind of what uh, what uh, spurs some of the stories that, uh, that I'm working on, definitely uh okay. especially especially in the deep uh the four issue series i'm doing uh it uh the the sense of fear uh causes uh causes some uh causes some big problems for the heroes um not to mention you know they're they're kind of contending with uh one of the worthy
2: and the worthy being sort of the acolytes of the serpent and right. i'm gonna I, like to to be perfectly honest if I, if i look at it and i look at some of these solicits um, there's there's really sort of a blackest night vibe to what's going on with the worthy. I mean, if you you know, it's sort of analogs to the the zombie versions of these dead DC characters. Um, but if if I'm also being honest, I think it's a little bit more compelling because they're characters that are still alive, and they are characters that are across from. I mean, across the entire Marvel universe. Um, but you mentioned Fear itself, the deep, and we got we got a preview of that. And um, obviously, looking at the lineup involved, and one of the original art pages was labeled "Fear Itself: The Defenders." Mm-hmm. Um, that was that was handwritten on on the page. So obviously, this is a sort of Defenders reunion. What is your history with those characters, and and what can we expect going into this limited series?
3: Well, uh, the Defenders—it's a group of characters I've uh, I've always. Uh, I've always liked. I think I got started reading them back when it was the new Defenders, which was uh, when Angel and Gargoyle and and Hellstorm and all those characters were in there. But uh, this definitely kicks off with sort of the core team, the original team of the Defenders, which is, you know, so Doctor Strange, Namor, Silver Surfer, and then a couple other characters who are new to the lineup that kind of, I guess, put some new blood into that group.
2: Mm You got the Savage She-Hulk in there.
3: Savage She-Hulk and Loa who uh, has been in X-Men and uh and uh the Namor series. Um uh so it is a there's definitely a Defenders vibe to the story. I mean there it's a it's a Defenders uh like you said a Defenders reunion of sorts.
2: What do what so what do the what do the new characters sort of bring I mean how how involved are they um, and, do, I mean, do they, does Savage She-Hulk sort of, does she really represent the Hulk coming into the Defenders? Or is, is this just sort of her thing?
3: Uh, she kind of represents the Hulk coming into it. Uh, she is drawn into it uh, for, for various, there, there are specific reasons that she uh, is drawn into, into the team. Uh, I wanted to put uh, those characters in the group, mainly because uh, to some degree, even though I like them, all of you know, I like Namor, I like Silver Surfer, I like Doctor Strange. To some degree, they're a little bit cold, you know, they're, they're characters who, who aren't super easy to relate to, mm. you know. And uh, I wanted some characters who were uh, you know a little a little younger, a little uh, a little more vibrant, I guess, to and a little more uh, human to some degree that uh, the reader could kind of relate to and could have them along for the ride and and kind of be the you know, the the reader can relate to some of the story through those characters uh, and they they do play a, a, a big role in the entire the entire four issues
2: how do you get into the silver surfer's headspace
3: <laughs> I he, he's you know as I got into it uh, the first script I remember I, I wrote some stuff and uh, the editors came back and said you know silver surfer wouldn't talk like that <laughs> <laughs> because I was I think I was trying to make him too uh, maybe too human so I really had to, to to get to a detached place for him you know he's kind of a you know he's he's an alien character he's he's detached a little bit from you know from everyone else he uh he interacts with um and that's kind of he has to that's his kind of burden too in, in dealing with with everyone else
2: it just it's it seems like a very i mean it's a very cool team it's also it's a very powerful powerful sort of if I'm to be honest, like it like an unbalanced kind of team because it's um it's it's a lot of heavy hitters and a lot of just very very stoic dudes. <laughs> and, um, so is it, uh, when you when you're putting together a team, is it always important to have sort of like that outsider perspective or the the young gun or something?
3: Well, I don't know. It if it's always important, uh, depending on you know it depends on the team and and you know who's you know making up that group. Um, I kind of. What I liked about it was working on it you know there's there's three very powerful characters and two characters we haven't really uh you know we don't really know how powerful they are and uh I like that balance and you know telling a story and uh this is a very action heavy four issues it's it's a it's it's definitely an adventure story um but you know making a challenge, you know presenting a challenge that uh you know would work for all those characters uh really uh it was part of the fun of 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 telling the story
2: can we can we talk about the threat this is namor's in some trouble that's that's yeah, my understanding
3: I, yeah namor namor basically uh has to face he, he's he's facing an opponent he simply cannot feed on his own and namor has been you know Namor's been beaten in in combat before. He's been defeated, but he's never been beaten the way he gets beaten in this series. And uh he has to turn to some other people to uh to help to help him. And uh there's actually a number of kind of villains kind of converging on them in in this four issues all tied to, you know, sort of a central point, but uh and all of them are are horrible. <laughs> all of them are are pretty uh, significant villains that they're uh that they're having to deal with and because of everything else that's going on in the Marvel Universe it's not like there's a lot of heroes you know everybody's busy you know all the heroes have something <laughs> going on so you know you get you know you you get who you can <laughs>
2: <laughs> well silver Surfer is it's not totally settling I don't think I think it's, well, I think no, it's good
3: yeah, yeah silver Surfer is uh, is not settling those like I said those three characters are uh, it's one of the things I've always liked about the defenders it's a team that really shouldn't work. But uh, it's also a team that is full, at least in the original incarnation, you know, full of some really powerful characters.
2: Uh, let's see. Moving over to Paris, um, the Black Widow one-shot for Fear Itself. Mm-hmm. Um, is anything bad going to happen to the Eiffel Tower?
3: I am not going to tell you anything okay. about what's going to happen to the Eiffel Tower. <laughs>
2: okay. Um, what, what brings uh, the Black Widow to, to Paris?
3: Um, so Black Widow, uh, is, uh, is called on to, uh, there's, there's basically in the midst of everything that's going on in, in fear itself, uh, the midst of the event and tied to the event to some degree, uh, some weapons of mass destruction are getting into the wrong hands. And it's a story that, uh, Black Widow was sent basically dispatched out there to, uh, to, to take care of the problem, um. Basically, because, and again, it's it's one of those things, there's a lot of stuff going on in the world and there are very few people who can just, uh, you know, jump out there and, and handle some of these, these issues. Um, but, uh, you know, if you have to send someone out to deal with weapons of mass destruction and things, I guess Blackwood is a pretty good choice. You know, I, I got a chance to tell a, a real spy, spy-fi story, you know. Uh, I got to channel my love of you know, James Bond and...
2: That was that was that was going to be my next question was how do you get into an international spies, uh, you know, mind space? I mean, Silver Surf was one thing, but to get to get into to her voice and also how do you approach, I mean, doing her dialogue? Um, uh, I mean, I, I've seen Black Widow portrayed in a number of different ways. And how do you how do you approach doing sort of do you do an accent in the in the dialogue balloons? How do you what is what is your philosophy on that kind of
3: thing? You know, I kind of take the the philosophy I had when I was writing, You know, when I write prose, is I don't write an accent. You know, it's it's to me it very rarely. At least I've never been able to pull it off effectively. So I didn't write an accent. Uh, I wrote just you know, I try to get into sort of the, the 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 speech patterns, I guess that she would use. Um, I read a lot of a lot of old Black Widow stories, trying to see how. Uh, you know how other writers kind of approach the character, and and I wanted to, to play off of that to some degree.
2: That's I I was always curious about that when the you know when someone takes on when a writer takes on a new book and, and there's the existing catalog out there. Do they send you stuff, or is that you like looking on your own to to pull out, archive material and, and look at it?
3: Um, they'll definitely send stuff if if needed. I you know a lot of times I just have some of it on on the shelf or in a comic book box somewhere, and I'll start grabbing that stuff and and you know going through that um and and so it's it's a mix uh for the black widow i i had a number of things already so i was able to just you know go to that and uh when i started working on the series is when uh the widowmaker series was coming out mm-hmm. the, and uh so i had those right you know they were right there on my desk and i was able to grab those and start reading them and uh and you know getting a feel for the character that way
2: uh, let's see. So then the third one on my list is fear itself, FF. Are we supposed to say FF or are we supposed to say future foundation?
3: I guess it's FF, right? Okay. Yeah. Yeah.
2: <laughs> so it's, if it ever becomes a fantastic Four again, they don't have to change the logo. They could just be the FF all the time. So right. whatever alliterative F thing they want to be. That might I
3: think be. it's, pr- I think what you're trying to pronounce is.
2: <sighs> <sighs> yes, there you that's go. It. Um, all right. So we, I know we can't say too much about this. This is a one shot.
3: It is. It is a one shot.
2: Okay, and there is a blacked out character on the cover, mm-hmm. according to the solicit. Is that the extent of what we can say about it?
3: <laughs> That's it. it it's a. Uh, Who's
2: it yeah, the artist? I, what, what artist are you working with? Tom
3: Grummett okay. is going to be be doing that uh, that issue.
2: Did you have fun doing it?
3: Uh, it it's a, it was a lot of fun. I mean, it's it's kind of hard for me to to not talk about it uh-huh. because. I really got, I really enjoyed it. I mean, it was, uh, I enjoyed writing the Black Widow story as well. Um, they're two very different stories though, because, you know, Black Widow, I went with a story that, you know, yes, it's Marvel universe, but it's a very grounded story. There's no, Mm. there's no, no real high power superheroics, I guess it's, it's definitely a spy story. Um, but in this FF story, uh, yeah, it, uh, I get to really cut loose on some stuff, so it was a it was a lot of fun.
2: Okay, so we'll we'll leave it at that for now. We'll find out soon. When's that one coming out?
3: Uh, is that June? June probably?
2: sounds right.
3: Yeah, I think it's June.
2: Every, yeah. every every comic book known to man is coming out in June. So
3: yeah, June's a big month. And if it's not June, <laughs> it's
2: July. But there's yeah, there's a lot of stuff going on um, either side of the aisle and, and other things. But okay, so uh, but also the end of the end of the month of May, May 25th, you got the tooth from Oni. Explain to me the tooth.
3: <laughs> um, that's that's funny only because when I first came up with the idea for this book years and years ago, I was writing back. I mean, this book's been around for six or seven years now. Um, the idea for it. Um, we were writing back from a con- comic book convention with uh Brian Hurt, my the, the my collaborator on Six Gun, and Sean Lee, who ended up helping me. You know, who ended up co-writing the tooth with me. And I said, here's my idea for a comic. And uh, I remember the reaction was just, I thought they were going to stop and throw me out of the car <laughs> because they thought I was the stupidest person to ever walk the face of the planet. So it's, so when I tell you the idea for the book, it definitely sounds, I recognize that it sounds stupid. That's part of the, <laughs> the charm of the book. Uh, but I guess it's the easiest thing to say, it's about a guy who has a giant magical fang living in his mouth. And occasionally the Fang jumps out and fights monsters and demons.
2: Okay, so it's a canine tooth.
3: It's a, it's a. Not a molar. No, not a molar. It's a, it's, it's one of the canines. Yeah.
2: This is, is this his baby tooth or is this it's, an adult tooth?
3: It's, a, it's a giant tooth. It juts out of his mouth like a, uh, like a, like a saber-toothed tiger's. That sounds
2: like it would hurt a lot.
3: Yeah, and and it's not one of his teeth. He finds it. So
2: he just he found it and he just put he, it in his head or.
3: No, he doesn't put it he does not necessarily See these are the questions that Brian and Sean were started asking me when I first said here's my idea for a comic. Uh, they started hitting me with all these questions that destroys the logic of the tooth. <laughs>
2: Cuz it looks exciting but it does raise a lot of questions that, Yeah, you know.
3: it's uh, the the tooth has an origin and frankly I just don't want to spoil the origin because it was when That's I fair. when I finally hit the origin of the tooth it was the thing that kind of brought everything together for the for the book. Uh, when I said this is where the tooth comes from and what it what it is, uh, and that's when Brian said, "Oh, now, now it makes now it makes kind of sense."
2: Without <laughs> without giving it away, did you come up with the idea of the fighting tooth first, or the origin of the tooth? No, fighting the tooth,
3: fighting tooth came long. <laughs> the original idea was, I want a giant tooth monster that fights other mo- giant monsters.
2: <laughs> okay, and what? What are the what are the other giant monsters? Are we talking about like like kaiju level giant monsters? No, no. Or?
3: The tooth, uh, I guess, is roughly when he grows to his full size, because when he springs from the guy's mouth, it, it you know he grows magically. Uh, the tooth is uh, roughly the size of like a, a big gorilla, okay. so most of the monsters are are that size or a little bigger. But he fights demons, ghosts, dragons vampires <laughs> gargoyles uh it's a it's a the book is chock full of monster battles
2: is, is sugar a problem
3: that sugar probably would be a problem for the tooth
2: but once uh, you lose that enamel that doesn't come back it's oh, the commercial <laughs> that's
3: that's true uh black and tartar are his enemy. yeah
2: <laughs> okay so this is this is coming out from oni um may 25th
3: it is it's a book that uh it's it's the kind of book that i you know it it's not the kind of book you would think only press would publish um which i think really speaks to the 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 breadth of the kind of work they 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 do um it's definitely not the kind of book that matt kent the artist on the book is known for doing i think uh his fans will be uh shocked and <laughs> surprised by this book because it's a uh, I mean if you're familiar with Matt he uh he does these you know these great stories these amazing books like uh, three story and uh, revolver mm-hmm. um they're very grounded though uh he doesn't do a lot of monster stuff and uh we put him through his monster paces on this I believe what he told me was he will never draw another dragon as long as he lives <laughs>
2: So uh, the tooth uh, can be extracted on uh, on May twenty fifth. So there, there's oh, that. Oh, that's um, good. Thanks. <laughs> I, I write copy all day, so that's okay. <laughs> um, Did we did we leave any other projects out or? You know, I
3: think that's uh, I think that's it of, of the stuff that I've got currently. You know, coming out. A lot of people always we you know when Brian and I go to conventions, we are always asked about the Damned. And uh, and what's going to be you know going on with that if we have more planned, mm-hmm. and the answer is we do. I mean, we're just not sure when we're going to be able to get to it. We're trying to make time in Brian's schedule with the Six Gun so that we can get to the next three issue arc of The Damned. But uh, Six Gun's still our priority right now.
2: Okay. And you said you said what it was like fifty issues in your head. Yeah, there's uh, a uh, roughly
3: 50, roughly fifty issues. Uh, in the six gun. It's uh I think right now it's actually a plot of a couple of shy of fifty. But uh part of me would love to get to that fifty mark just, you know, so it's a nice number. Yeah, it would be a nice nice number, but uh but the the main point is I want to tell the story and tell it. I don't want to to pad it and I don't want to cut it short either. So
2: any any teases for what's to come in the six gun soon?
3: Uh well I can tell you know, we just ended the second arc uh just uh just ended um the next arc
2: pick of the uh, week on ifanboy.com?
3: I noticed that. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Um and uh the next arc is a six-issue arc is going to start out with a lot of action. Um but the last half of that arc will be uh will not be the kind of book I think people are expecting. I think it's going to it's going to shake things up quite a bit.
2: I think the tooth is going to bust through the double doors of a saloon and it's that a great crossover I think
3: I threaten I threaten Brian with that kind of stuff all the time <laughs> and he quickly threatens never to work with me again
2: <laughs> <laughs> All right so I wanted to talk about that messy desk you were talking about before um how do you since you have all these projects from multiple publishers in different states of progress how do you keep that all organized or do you
3: Yeah I do um it's a uh, it's it's you know to the basics, I keep, you know, a folder, a hard copy folder and electronic files, you know, subdivided by every project I'm working on. And, uh, you know, and those are, you know, on my desk, you know, racked up so that I can get to them easily. And they're on my desktop on my computer organized so I can get to them easily. Um, the big challenge, what you know, what I had a little bit of a challenge getting into immediately was just balancing, you know, what do I work on today? Do I do I divide today? Today, do I just work on one project or do I work on, you know, half the day, I spent half the day working on something and then another half of the day working on, on something else.
2: Did you um, mix stuff up?
3: Yeah, I did. I, I did. It, it gets, it was, it was a little bit of a challenge, you know, when, when you have a uh, Namor in the old West or something, that, that was always <laughs> a, a threat. But, uh, um, actually what i started getting mixed up on was in even it, within the six gun is i'm it was getting to be a uh sort of just confusing on on what i was doing there and what was next only because i have the entire thing mapped out now which is the only danger i guess of having it mapped out is i want to get to those you know future events pretty quickly <laughs> um but uh what i what i ended up netting out is i kind of prioritize my day every morning i i sit down and look at my list of priorities you know depending on what deadlines are out there uh, I hit the, you know, I hit the biggest priority first and I try to work on it at least, you know, I dedicate a couple of, you know, two, three hours to the biggest priority first thing every day. And, uh, and at that, by that point, you know, I get into that couple of hours, I kind of have a feel for where, you know, I'm either going to be in the zone of that story and I'm just going to keep going with that one or, I'm gonna to get to a point where I need to kind of step away from it, because I might be hung up on a idea or or something as simple as not sure what dia- how dialogue should sound for a certain character that'll you know hang me up. And sometimes moving on to something else it helps break that. Uh, it breaks whatever block there is there. Mm-hmm. So I might be working on the deep in the morning, and then if I get stuck, I'll shift over to the six gun, and working on one kind of getting a, a fresh set. Of, you know, kind of. Kind of cleans the palette. Working on the the books are so different; they they kind of clean the palette of each other. And I can say, "Oh, now I'm I know what I need to do in this other project."
2: And you get the the distance on it, yeah. right?
3: Right. But if uh, you know, if it's going well, if I get started and I am, you know, I'm having I'm having fun. It's kind of you know the words are flowing. I'm going to stick with that first one until it's uh you know un- until I until I run out of steam. I guess.
2: Mm-hmm. Now in. In writing your own creator-owned stuff, like the Six-Gun, and working on a licensed character like, say, Namor, is there ever a point where you come up with like a really cool idea and say, do I use this for Namor right now, or do I hold on to it for the Six-Gun or the Damned or something like that?
3: Um, I, I, haven't, uh, I haven't hit that yet. Um, I kind of, right now at least, uh, until, I do, you know, until I do encounter that, the way I feel is if it's something that's right for, for Namor, for instance, it's not going to ever work in the six gun. It's just not going to, you know, and definitely with the six gun, if it's something that is, that's right for the six gun, it's never going to work in, you know, in one of those other books. Um, Now that said, I have been working on other projects and, you know, working on say something for Marvel or DC and it kind of triggers something that, uh, Hey, that's a great idea for the six gun. I will jot that down and and make sure I, I keep it in my, in my file for, for when that moment comes uh you know i guess probably the the biggest thing i noticed is i try to uh uh watch out you know watch out in terms of how i'm pacing issues you know i, I don't want to pace an issue of you know, an action heavy issue from a marvel book i've noticed you know I, i've noticed parallels between you know issues i'm currently writing a six gun and i was like, oh i need to kind of vary that up i don't, I don't want to have the same i don't want to you know i don't want to fall on the same you know Tools in telling the story, and I have noticed that that I need to vary. You know, it, it kind of just keeps me honest that I need to make sure I'm I'm telling stories differently, if that makes sense.
2: Is it is it like a different like voice or or rhythm in your head when you're writing something for Marvel or you know it, I mean or is it more like it varies from which artist you're writing to because that's really what a script is is writing to your artist. And...
3: Yeah, um you know, but in some cases I don't know the artist that I'm going to be working with for the ff book for instance i did not know who the artist was until i was done with the script um but 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 i also kind of envision you know i kind of get in my head you know what the art will look like or you know who it might be Mm -hmm. and uh and i go you know i do kind of write to this style you know i write to a certain style of art i don't know if that influences the editors and picking artists or, or or whatever when they read it um I, I think I've gotten lucky though, in terms of the artists I've uh, I've been able to work with.
2: Mm-hmm. We did we didn't mention Lee Garbett on uh, yeah. on a fin- uh, Fear itself the deep, excuse me. Yes, um, and the artist on uh, Black Widow. I don't think we mentioned uh, Peter Nguyen. Okay. Um, do you do thumbnails when you script? Like, do you do you draw them, or is it just in your head?
3: I have done them for myself, but I've never shown them to an artist. Mm-hmm. You know, I've. I've done them every script I do. I kind of approach a different way. I've done everything from laying out post its that represent panels on the page. You know, I've taken a, a sheet of notebook paper and put post its in. You know, for a five panel page, I'll put five post its and I write the action in the post it and then I can move them around if I need to. I've done that. I've written directly, you know, directly to script in the, you know, in Word. I've uh, I've written entire scripts out longhand. It's just uh, it it depends on on what uh, you know on the my mood I guess when I start working on a comic, uh, working on a script I it depends on how I'm feeling right then I I don't know what's gonna get the ball rolling and keep the ball rolling.
2: Um, any 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 advice or or, or lessons to to hand out to anybody who wants to get to the the point where you are writing licensed characters and creator own stuff um and being at a point where you're you're writing full time
3: yeah uh i guess the the biggest thing that the biggest lesson i've learned cuz i've been writing for uh for years years trying to 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 break in um and doing i've been doing it while balancing a, a you know a day job that's what you have to do if mm-hmm. you're going to you know almost always you have to do it uh some people are in situations where they may not have to but uh trying to break in while balancing a day job But, uh, you know, when I look back, uh, what I realize is for many of those years, I treated writing like a hobby and, uh, I didn't necessarily, uh, dedicate the time that I needed to dedicate to it. Um, it was not until I started treating writing as a second full-time job that I started getting any kind of traction. Um. And, and I don't think that was by accident. I started spending and, and, and I had to make a lot of sacrifices to do that. Um, but it was not until I really started treating it like a job that I started getting traction. And I think anyone who wants to to, to break in and to, to make it, they have to they have to start treating it as important. You know if, if it's important to them, then they need to treat it as if it's important. I'm not saying you need to spend now, you know, everybody's story is different. I spent a lot of time, and I came home from my job, and I worked another six hours a night for a couple of years. I'm not saying that everybody should do that. In fact, I'm probably saying they shouldn't because <laughs> it, it, uh, you know, I, I suffered through a couple of those years. But the fact that I dedicated a certain amount of time, and I said, no matter what, every day I'm going to write a certain amount. That's, that was the key for me is that I really sat down and said, I'm going to write. I'm and and it's important that I'm not gonna sacrifice it for watching some television show. I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to to play a video game instead of writing. I'm going to write. And I had to turn down, you know, friends would call me and say, Hey, we're gonna go watch a movie and I'd have to turn them down or hey, we're gonna play this game tonight. Do you wanna join in? And no, I had to turn them down. Um but uh I made sure I I gave my family as much, you know, I gave my family time but then if it wasn't family time and it wasn't my day job i was working on my writing for you know, well into the the wee hours of the morning sometimes
2: and it's paid off so far looks like
3: uh you know it's it has and, and i'm still you know i still <laughs> even though i'm writing full time i still uh you know i i write pr- pretty much from you know it's, it's i treat it like a a full time 9 to 5 job and i do spend you know the evenings after my after my sons asleep and and my wife's asleep, and uh, I've kind of gotten into that mindset now. Instead of turning on the television and vegging, watching a movie, I still, I more often than not, I end up going and working for an hour or so at night. And uh, and the the nice thing about it is, it's not that I dread. It's not you know, it's not something I dread doing. I enjoy doing it, so it's not a it's not a chore to do it most of the time it's not a chore to do it it it, it's a job so sometimes it's a chore but uh, most of the time I'm really enjoying what I'm doing
2: well it's uh, you know I I really appreciate the hard work I'm enjoying all the different stories it's a good time to be a fan of the western end of Colin Bunn and uh, and all these things you're working on I'm excited for the tooth and more six-gun and and all this fear itself stuff And uh, thank you so much for joining me, Mr. Colin Bunn.
3: Thanks. Oh, thanks for for talking to me. I enjoyed it.
2: Thanks once again to the exceptionally talented Colin Bunn. Just to rehash all those comics, in the merry month of May, the Sorcerer King's arc of Superman-Batman concludes. That's issues 81 through 84. Then later this month, the Tooth OGN from Oni with Matt Kint. In June, you can pick up volume two of The Sixth Gun, also ongoing from Oni. Then over at Marvel, a Fear Itself Black Widow one shot. And in July, Fear Itself The Deep, a limited series, and Fear Itself FF, a one shot. For video, written, and audio comics content just like this, be sure to keep an eye on ifanboy.com. See you next time. <laughs>